A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In 2020, actor Danny Masterson, known mostly for his role in the early 2000s hit sitcom That 70 Show, was charged with forcibly raping three women in separate incidents between 2001 and 2003. Masterson pled not guilty to all three charges in January 2021 and his trial began in 2022. The victims alleged that the assault occurred in his home and all three accusers took the stand to detail their allegations in May 2021 in a preliminary hearing, the impact of which was clear through their emotional testimony. In an added layer of conspiracy, the Church of Scientology have been accused of covering up and enabling Masterson by the victims, all three of whom were also practising Scientologists at the time of the alleged assault. Danny Masterson has been a member of the Church of Scientology since he was a child, an organisation known to protect their celebrity members at all costs. Despite the judge's efforts to keep the focus of the trial on the assault charges, Scientology has not avoided the spotlight, and this case has opened doors that the organisation most definitely want to keep closed. My name is Jenny and I'm the host of Red Room, a podcast for those who love to fall down a rabbit hole where we discuss true crime, conspiracy and unsolved mysteries. But today we'll be focusing on the trial and verdict of Danny Masterson and looking at the overlap between these allegations of assault and the Church of Scientology. This episode of Red Room, we'll be speaking about rape, sexual assault, coercion and harassment. Listener discretion is advised. So before we get into the details of the accusations and trial, I do want to say that this is by no means my first brush with Scientology. In early 2022, I did a three-part series on the organisation. One episode is here on Spotify and there's two over on my Patreon account. The former is a deep dive into Scientology and their relationship with celebrities and I'd advise you to listen to it after this episode for more context. And the latter consists of one episode detailing the history of Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and an exclusive hour-long interview with an ex-Scientologist who lives here in Ireland. His name is Peter Griffiths and interviewing him for my podcast and for the Sunday World brought Scientology into my life on a whole other level. They went on to send me a cease and desist letter and wrote about me on their website, which was all pretty crazy, but honestly a bit of a badge of honour if you're going to speak about Scientology, you kind of want them to listen. But that was when I saw how seriously they go after ex-members who are brave enough to expose them, even if they are just regular people like you and I. Pete was also the first person to tell me about this upcoming trial of Danny Masterson. He correctly predicted that it was going to expose all sorts of scandals and skeletons in the closet for the organisation. And I've been keeping a close eye on it ever since. You might notice that in this episode, I refer to Scientology as an organisation and not a church. That is because in Ireland, Scientology is not a recognised religion or church. And because I refuse to represent them as anything else but what I believe them to be, which is an organisation who want to make money at all costs and protect their celebrity members who do their bidding for them. Scientology are one of the most controversial New Age quote-unquote religions 
and have been embroiled in missing person scandals, abuse allegations, psychological torture allegations, and so much more. But today we're going to focus on this trial, the trial of Danny Masterson, as it has exposed so much about the church, an incredible amount about the actor, of course, and some of the dark side of Hollywood. And it has had so many knock-on effects for some of the people involved, like Ashton Kutcher, Mila Kunis. So first, let's take a look at the timeline of events as they happened. In 2017, Tony Ortega, a journalist and reporter for The Underground Bunker, which is a website pretty much solely dedicated to exposing Scientology, first broke that Danny Masterson was under investigation by the LAPD over sexual assault allegations. Tony Ortega has been reporting on Scientology for years, first in The Village Voice, and he has since written two books on the organisation and many of their scandals. And if you have ever done any research on anything surrounding Scientology, likeliness is you have found yourself on the underground bunker at one point. The LAPD confirmed this report by issuing the following statement, saying, quote, The Los Angeles Police Department Robbery Homicide Division Sexual Assault Section is conducting an investigation involving the actor Danny Masterson. Three women have come forward and disclosed that they were sexually assaulted by Masterson during the early 2000s. Now, Ortega claimed to have received documents that said that three women, who were reportedly also Scientologists, claimed that the Church of Scientology pressured them to not contact authorities about their claims. The Church of Scientology were obviously very quick to deny these claims. Ortega got his hands on a police report where one of the victims accused Masterson of having sex with her while she was asleep and a second woman alleged that Masterson was sexually assaulting her while she was passed out or unconscious. Ortega also claimed to have heard from Leah Remini and Mike Rinder, who are two extremely well-known ex-Scientologists and celebrities who produced their own A&E show exposing the organization's corruption and crimes. And he claimed that Leah Remini told him that one of these women came to her when they were in pre-production of the show. Remini said that she told the women that it was time for people to take action and she encouraged victim A or Jane Doe 1 to file a police report. Then we have Masterson's PR rep issuing a statement saying, We are aware of Redacted's 16-year-old allegations. It was only after she was in contact with Leah Remini that she made allegations of sexual assault by Mr. Masterson. The alleged incident occurred in the middle of their six-year relationship, after which she continued to be his longtime girlfriend. And here we will see a pattern of victim-blaming. After Leah Remini got involved, they soon found out that in 2004, another report was filed against Masterson. Victim B had filed a report with LAPD in 2004, after her rape occurred in 2003. But that investigation was closed when witnesses, who were Scientologists, contradicted the victim's testimony. As a result of victim A coming forward, the LAPD contacted victim B and reopened the case with Remini's encouragement. After several months, victim A became increasingly frustrated with the LAPD's investigation and she wrote a lengthy and detailed letter to LAPD Captain William Hayes and LAPD Chief Charlie Beck detailing her suspicions that the LAPD has been compromised by the Church of Scientology. This is also not a far-fetched accusation as Scientology have made sure that they have members in almost every level of bureaucracy, especially in California. In her message, victim A described the background of her case, that she'd been in a relationship with Danny Masterson, but he had allegedly anally raped her and injured her while she was unconscious in an incident that occurred in December 2001, and that she had never previously reported the rape to police because, like Masterson, she was a Scientologist, and Scientology officials told her not to go to the police and then had punished her for being victimised. She said, quote, They threatened me that if I ever told anyone or reported him to the police, that I would be declared a suppressive person and lose everything and everyone. They then put me on a massive ethics programme as punishment. My rapist was not punished at all. They didn't even call him to talk about it. I ended up breaking up with him two months later. Soon after this, victim C joined and filed a report. In November 2017, the Huffington Post reported that a fourth woman accused of Masterson of raping her in the early 2000s. 
They reported at the time that the investigation had stalled and that, quote, despite what one law enforcement source described as overwhelming evidence, the charges have not been approved for filing. Later that month, Chrissy Carnell Bixler came forward publicly as one of the accusers, claiming that the only way to protect ourselves is to speak. She openly criticised Netflix for still working with Masterson, despite the growing controversy surrounding him, and vowed to seek justice for what was done to her and her co-accusers. Remember, this is in the wake of Me Too, so this is not just a single allegation that maybe they couldn't have seen. This is when there was allegations being made every single week of abusers in Hollywood and people getting dropped every single day from upcoming projects who had, you know, pretty legitimate claims against them. In December 2017, Masterson was fired by Netflix, but not before an executive allegedly told one of the accusers that they thought everything was a big crock of shit. And another accuser made themselves known publicly, the actress Bobette Royales. She claimed that Masterson drugged her and sexually assaulted her while they dated between the years of 2002 and 2004. She tweeted, quote, Danny Masterson repeatedly raped me. All I seek is justice and to prevent this from happening to anyone else as it has for some time. My truth will be heard. I applaud Chrissy's strength as well. In 2018, this is when the house of cards begins to fall, so to say. United Talent Agency, Hollywood's biggest agency, cut all ties with Danny Masterson. They'd been working together for over 20 years. Cedric Bixler Zavala, the singer of the bands The Mars Volta and At The Drive-In, and Chrissy Bixler's husband, alleged that Masterson sexually assaulted his wife and stated that at the drive-in song Incurably Innocent from their 2017 album Inter Alia is about this rape. Despite being fired and let go from his agency and the public interest surrounding two of the victims coming out publicly and mounting evidence, the case at this point seems to come to a standstill. But a year later, in August 2019, four accusers went ahead and sued Danny Masterson and the Church of Scientology in a civil case. It should be noted that these civil cases and lawsuits, when they're involved with sexual assault, they're really not unusual. They always come under a lot of criticism with people making pretty ignorant and uninformed allegations that people are after money. But it's known that, first off, sexual assault, one of the hardest things to actually uh, get someone convicted of, never mind into a courtroom. But also, sometimes a lawsuit is the best way for these allegations to be made public and to be taken up by prosecution to actually make the charges criminal. Remember, an individual cannot prosecute someone. You can go to the police, you can file a police report, but it's up to the state to actually take on the case. But in this case, an individual or multiple individuals can sue them. So oftentimes victims choose to go this route in order to seek justice and for the publication of the lawsuit's findings as people will still be put under oath. In the filing, Bixler, Rialis and two anonymous Jane Doe's accused Masterson and the church of engaging in stalking, physical invasion of privacy and a conspiracy to obstruct justice. They also claimed that they and their families were harassed in an effort to silence them Chrissy Bixer's husband was also a plaintiff. The four women claimed in the lawsuit that they were systematically stalked and subsequently suffered emotional distress after filing reports with the LAPD. The plaintiffs alleged that Scientology mobilised an aggressive fair game campaign against them. And though the campaigns against each plaintiff differed, each had commenced after they individually left the church. Now you would have heard a few terms over the last few minutes that are very specific to Scientology. We have ethics, we have suppressive person and fair game. The ethics board in Scientology is kind of like an internal policing body. Scientologists are not encouraged to go to the police or law enforcement if they know someone within Scientology has misbehaved. It's very like a Cosa Nostra kind of keep it in the family thing. So you go to the ethics board and they like to deal with their problems internally, so to speak. And that's because anyone who is outside of Scientology is considered a, quote, suppressive person. So anyone who is not a Scientologist is this SP. And then fair game. So fair game is a policy that Scientology claims to not use anymore, wherein they basically are given a free pass to harass anyone who speaks up against them, especially ex-members. And there's more info on that in my other episodes. But their claims are pretty wild. 
One plaintiff claimed her dog died from unexplained traumatic injuries through its trachea and esophagus and that Scientology members chased her as she drove her car, filmed her without her permission, harassed her online and posted ads to social media sites soliciting sex in her name. Another plaintiff stated that she and her neighbours observed a man snapping pictures from her driveway and later that night someone broke a window in her 13-year-old daughter's bedroom. So it's really no holds barred. You are allowed to do whatever it takes to intimidate people, these suppressive persons, to retract their statements, to back down. The plaintiffs sought unspecified damages and demanded a trial by jury. Again, this was probably a tactic to make these accusations public. Masterson's response through his attorney at the time stated that claims were ridiculous and that he's not going to fight his ex-girlfriend in the media like she's been baiting him to do for more than two years. He vowed to beat her in court and looked forward to doing so and promised to sue her in response, along with the others who he claimed, quote, were jumping on the bandwagon. Words that would most definitely come back to haunt him. The Church of Scientology issued their own statement saying, From everything we have read in the press, this baseless lawsuit will go nowhere because the claims are ludicrous and a sham. It is a dishonest and hallucinatory publicity stunt. Leah Remini is taking advantage of these people as pawns in her money-making scam. Leah Remini was a member of the church for 35 years, remember, before making her split very public in 2013. And since she's left, as we mentioned before, she's been she's become probably the most famous outspoken critic of Scientology. Scientology always goes down this route. They love to use Leah Remini as a straw man argument. Uh, They claim she only attacks them for financial gain, which is pretty baseless because, of course, yes, she's made money from her books and her TV shows, but she has used her platform as a way to spread awareness around the dangers of the organization by constantly speaking out against them and using this massive celebrity platform that she has, that she once used to spread the word of Scientology. She's almost doing her reparations in that regard. She is, you know, covering up any of the good publicity that she has given them in the past by exposing their lies to the mainstream media. So this lawsuit is presumably being put through the motions of the court system in the latter half of 2019. And we know a trial by jury does not happen overnight. And I'm going to presume that COVID delayed matters somewhat. But when we come into 2020, it gets to June and it was announced that Danny Masterson had been arrested and charged with raping three women after a culmination of a three-year investigation. This is where, you know, over the weekend, I'm sure all of you have heard these allegations coming out against Russell Brand and people keep saying, oh, why only now? Why only now? And, you know, it has obviously also been stated, but ignored by a lot of his uh, fans that this is a three to four year investigation. These accusations are obviously going to be taken seriously and they take a while to look into fully. In October that year, so 2020, a Los Angeles judge ruled that Masterson's rape case will move forward, rejecting a defence argument that the case should be thrown out because the alleged rapes occurred outside the statute of limitations. A month later, the arraignment, which is the formal reading of a criminal charging document in the presence of the defendant, is pushed out to 2021. In 2021, unsurprisingly, Danny Masterson pled not guilty to all three rape charges. Everything began to kick off four years after the first accusations in May 2021. And during the preliminary hearings, the victims took the stand to describe their rape at the hands of Danny Masterson. And the purpose of which is to determine whether there is enough evidence in order for Masterson to stand trial on all three counts. So now we're going to go through the testimony. Um, I know I left a little warning at the start of this episode, but This is specifically where we're going to get into a little bit more detail. I do find it important. I don't always like to go into gory details um, when I feel that it's maybe being salacious, but I think in this case, it's actually quite needed to see the severity of the charges. So testimony one is from Jane Doe one or Jen. There's a couple of uh, identifiers over on the internet of who these women are. They've been referred to as different pseudonyms, Jane Doe's, etc, etc. So Jane Doe One told the judge that she was drugged at Masterson's house and woke up to the actor raping her. She broke down in tears on the stand and explained that she went to his house to pick up a set of keys from him on April 25th, 2003, but decided to join in on drinks with mutual friends at the house, who were all a group of Scientologists. 
She said that about 20 minutes after she accepted a vodka mixed drink from Danny Masterson, her vision became blurry and the actor pushed her into his jacuzzi. She said, I couldn't walk or stand, so he put me on the tile on the ground. I couldn't open my eyelids. I felt very, very sick. She said, I wasn't able to sit down and then I couldn't see and I felt like I couldn't breathe. And then I wanted to vomit everywhere and I felt like I'd never been so nauseous in my entire life. She said he volunteered to take her to a bathroom upstairs and put his fingers down her throat to get her to throw up. She said she resisted, saying no, but he picked her up, brought her up the stairs and he made her vomit in the bathroom. He then dragged her into the shower and turned the water on. At some point, she realised Masterson was in front of her, soaping her breasts with his hands. She said she took a swing at him, but she felt weak and the punch didn't land with much force. Then she said Masterson picked her up and put her on the bed, where she passed out. When she awoke, she testified that Masterson was on top of her with his full weight penetrating her. In the subsequent struggle, she said that Masterson reached into a drawer in a nightstand and pulled out a gun. She said he held it up and said, shut the fuck up. She said in the days following the assault, she had bruises on her wrists and her neck, as well as pain in her genitals. She testified about being a Scientologist her entire life, her parents already members of the church when she was born, and her closest friends all being from that circle. Because she said growing up in Scientology, there's policies about non-Scientologists, and she said she was hesitant to file a police report because of Masterson's connection to the Church of Scientology and that her family and friends told her not to go to the police. Many of these were celebrity friends, including Lisa Marie Presley and her assistant Paige Dorian, but she ultimately filed a report in June 2004. She said she was reluctant to go to the police because, quote, I was a Scientologist and Mr. Masterson is a Scientologist and you cannot report another Scientologist in good standing to the authorities. The second testimony came the following day from Christina B, claiming that she was five years into her relationship with actor Danny Masterson when she awoke to find him raping her as she slept. She said she tried to push him off and said no, but he wouldn't stop. She then said, so I did something that I knew would make him angry and likely to get off me. I pulled his hair. He had these rules, a no-touch hair rule, a no-touch face rule. He had these things about his hair, so I knew if I pulled it really, really hard, he'd get off me. But that is not what he did. He hit me. She said Masterson then smacked her across the face with his fist, spat on her and called her white trash. During cross-examination, Masterson's attorney accused Christina of telling a different story than she had in her interviews with police and prosecutors years before. The defence then played a tape of an interview with the police detective and Christina B, saying correct when the detective asked if Masterson was trying to have sex with her, and she said Masterson was putting himself inside me. In court, she argued it was a case of semantics. She had just been using different language to describe the same thing. She described another incident a month later that is not included in the charges that she said she had blacked out, where she woke up in pain and learned that Masterson had raped her anally while she was unconscious. This prompted her to go to the ethics officials at the Church of Scientology. She had joined Scientology in 1996 at the urging of Danny Masterson, who by then was already a prominent member. This, according to her, resulted in her disconnecting from her family, as her parents, she was told, were suppressive persons. She reported it to the ethics officer at the Church of Scientology. The officer's husband was also a church chaplain, and he told Christina that she couldn't be raped by her 2D, or second dynamic, which is a term used by Scientology to refer to someone's husband or partner. She said that the officials convinced her she was not raped, and she did not go to police to report Masterson until 15 years had passed. The Church of Scientology denied all allegations. Masterson's third accuser spoke on May 20th, alleging that the actor demanded she come over to his home one night, take her clothes off, and later he then raped her. When he told her to take her clothes off, she said she listened because she didn't want any violence to take place. She said she was laughing while trying to de-escalate the situation, trying to say no. She said that Masterson brought her up to the bedroom to take a shower and that's where he first initiated sex. Then he took her to the bedroom. Despite her protesting, he flipped her onto her stomach and started, quote, pounding me from behind. 
she almost threw up and she felt like a rag doll, not totally in charge of my faculties. The victim, who was identified in court as N. Trout, said that she listened to what he asked of her that night, partly because of his position of authority within Scientology. She said that her and Masterson had been out with friends when a few nights later he began texting her in a very demanding tone and that she needed to come to his house. She said she didn't understand why he was being so commanding but presumed he was saying it in a way to be aggressive as a form of flirting. She said she agreed to come over and talk and possibly have a glass of wine after setting conditions and boundaries including the fact that she wouldn't be putting on a swimsuit or getting into his pool. She said that she had a few drinks to calm herself before she walked into his house and he gave her a glass of wine when she arrived. It wasn't long before he took her to the backyard where he told her to take her clothes off and get in the hot tub, saying, take them off. If you don't do it, I'm going to do it. Get them off. She said her memory gets blurry when they enter the tub, but testified that Masterson took her up to the shower where he raped her and then raped her again on his bed. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Opening statements began in the Masterson sexual assault trial in October 2022, with some pretty heavy witness testimony. The first witness was Jane Doe 1, who broke down in tears recounting the story of a violent rape where Masterson choked her and she thought she might die. She alleged that Masterson also anally penetrated her against her will. She then testified that after the incident, she was sent to speak with the church ethics officer and was forced to make peace with Masterson. She also said she was required to complete a few weeks of ethics programs and was given to understand that she was responsible for the entire encounter. She said that she feared retaliation from the Church of Scientology for testifying and that she left out some details in her initial report in 2004 because she wanted to protect the church and its officials, to which the judge pushed back saying, this is a rape case, go to the incidents. Judge Omeldo only allowed limited discussion of the church to show the relationship between witnesses and their motivation. The second witness, who we know is Chrissy B., testified repeating much of her preliminary hearing testimony and then a third woman who preferred to be identified as Jane Doe number two took the stand telling jurors that Masterson violently raped her and left her feeling like a rag doll after he ignored her repeated pleas. And then a third woman took the stand telling jurors that Masterson violently raped her leaving her feeling like a rag doll after he ignored her pleas. Near the end of the month-long trial Danny Masterson decided not to testify, nor call any witnesses in his defence. Both parties rested their cases on November 4th, 2022, and made their closing arguments the following day. Then the jury deadlocked after three days in deliberation. The judge ordered the jury to resume deliberations the week after Thanksgiving instead of declaring a mistrial, but the jury remained deadlocked once deliberations resumed. A mistrial was then declared. The jury foreman said that they had leaned towards acquitting Masterson on all counts because of inconsistencies in the testimonies. They cited one example where one victim alleged Masterson threatened her with a gun, but she didn't say this in her first police report. And I think this really highlights the incongruity between 
PTSD, trauma, and the legal system, it is almost impossible to give a perfect report to police in the vast majority of sexual assault cases. We know that there are a plethora of reasons why victims of sexual assault would omit certain details or even forget them, but in this instance, there was this added layer of being threatened by Scientology that most definitely would have impacted the victim's initial police reports. Despite all this, a new trial was held this year in April 2023, and on May 31st, Danny Masterson was convicted of two of the three counts of forcible rape. The jury was hung 8-4 to four in favour of convictions on the third charge. And just days ago, Danny Masterson was sentenced to 30 years to life in prison, which was his maximum sentence he was looking at. His wife, Bijou Phillips, apparently gasped when the verdict was read and wept as he was taken into custody, accompanied by a group of family and friends who sat stone-faced between him through both trials. Danny Masterson apparently did not emote visibly either way when the verdict was read aloud. One of the victims said in a statement that, I'm experiencing a complex array of emotions, relief, exhaustion, strength and sadness, knowing that my abuser Danny Masterson will face accountability for his criminal behaviour. While another former girlfriend whose count left the jury deadlocked said in a statement, while I'm encouraged that Danny Masterson will face some criminal punishment, I'm devastated that he has dodged criminal accountability for his heinous conduct against me. Masterson's 2003 victim said in court, when you raped me, you stole from me. That's what rape is theft of the spirit. You are pathetic, disturbed and completely violent. The world is better off with you in prison. So, as with anything on the internet and these viral huge stories, many of Danny Masterson's past statements have now been unearthed, coming back to haunt him in light of this conviction. One interview that he did that was frankly chilling if you ask me, is a statement he gave on the Kevin Pollock show where he speaks about getting women into the shower. And if you remember those women's testimony, getting someone into the shower is apparently something he did quite often. Let's take a listen. Your way, buddy. We'll see. We'll see. Your third question comes from your current co-star, Adam Bush. Mm, sweet Bushy. He DM'd me on the Twitter and said, make sure you ask the Masterson his advice, the best way to make a move on a girl once you've got him back to your place. Oh, you just invite him for a shower. <laughs> of course. <laughs> that's the move that's been missing. Yeah. You say, you need to clean yourself? Well, you know, you say, let's go clean ourselves together. Uh, like, it's conversational. Like, you know, like, we're gonna, you're like, oh, let's do, we should go take a shower. Do you ever pat him on the ass and say, good game, let's hit the showers? After the shower. <laughs> After you've had a good game. If you remember Jane Doe number one's testimony and Jane Doe two's testimony, both women had incidents with Masterson in the shower as part of their rape. While looking into this and sleuthing on Reddit, I noticed many other people remarking how Harvey Weinstein also asked slash made his victims shower either before or after raping them. He also was asked in this interview about his DJ name, which is DJ Donkey Punch. Mention the donkey, donkey Punch. Oh, yeah. How does um, that become your DJ, DJ name? Just because you can't believe people are going to have to say it? Yeah, just because it was like, oh, I wonder if we can get this in the New York Times, and we did. Uh -huh. But this is also kind of like before the world of the internet and where the Facebooks and the Twitter and the whole thing, where everybody knows what everything means. Right, you can't instantly so look it So for years... Nobody you know, it would be like, and uh, Danny Masson, a.k.a. DJ Donkey Punch. Ex-cons, you know, now. playing, you know, in, this is in, like, the Wall Street Journal or something. Um, so for a while, only ex-cons knew why you named yourself DJ Donkey Punch. Pretty much, yeah. 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 And the thing is, is that when, when I had the Donkey Punch, it was a shot to the ribs. <laughs> really? That made the cough ah. to release the back muscles. I... <laughs> <laughs> but, then, but then I think it became back, back of the of head, head where you knock somebody out or something. Yeah. And that's not the donkey punch I know. That's not the one you condone. No. No, no, no. no. Because that's violent. So if you're unaware of what a donkey punch is, here's how Urban Dictionary currently defines the term donkey punch. Donkey punching involves the male punching the sexual partner in the back of the head during anal or vaginal sex prior to orgasm to provoke a shock causing the vaginal or anal muscles to contract around the male's penis. 
The move can be prosecuted as sexual assault and even rape in the case of surprise anal penetration. Throughout the interview, he makes a handful of these kinds of jokes. I'll link it below if you want to hear more. But, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say it's not exactly essential viewing. So now let's talk about Scientology's involvement and their history of cover-ups. Jane Doe number one's testimony gives us a real insight into the psychological effects that speaking up within Scientology can have. She said, my understanding my entire life was that you can never be a victim. Nothing ever happens to you that you didn't cause. No matter what condition you find yourself in, no matter how horrible, you are responsible. You created that. Now, I obviously go into massive detail on this aspect of Scientology in my other episodes, but to briefly expand on her point, a central ethos to Scientology is that your life is not just your own responsibility, but a direct reflection on how you have lived. If this sounds like some sort of new age appropriation of karmic retribution, then you're not far off because L. Ron Hubbard, the man who founded Scientology, in creating his, quote, religion, took all sorts of inspiration from all religions when creating his hodgepodge belief system. But without going on a full half-hour tangent about Thetans, Dianetics and going clear, which, you know, I could and I have done, the basic idea is that within Scientology, your soul goes through multiple iterations and recycled variations until you pay for enough Scientology courses and go clear, aka get rid of all your bad juju, and until you do so, you will suffer the consequences in each life cycle. Scientology, like any corrupt organization, in my opinion, is constantly covering up their various controversies and boy, do they have some. Oh my God, the list is long. We have the fact that they allegedly run camps of sorts for bad Scientologists. Uh, You would have heard one of the Jane Doe's referring to that she was forced to go to ethics courses. These are said camps. Apparently, when people go there, their passports are taken off them and they are forced to live in what seems to be a glorified prison while they're required to scream insults in each other's faces all day until they break down. Then we have the disappearance of the leader's wife, Shelley Miscavige, who quite literally was here one day and gone the next. Her disappearance is actually what led Leah Remini to question the organisation and her entire belief system, ultimately ending in her leaving Scientology altogether. And remember, she was a member for 35 years. As far as celebrities go, Scientology sees them as their mascots. They were technically one of the early adopters of influencer marketing here. They'll do whatever it takes to cover up the controversies of these celebrities as well. In my episode on Scientology and the cult of celebrity that again I'll link below, we cover lots of these from Tom Cruise's marital breakups all the way to apparently a deep secret that John Travolta has that's getting covered up to this day. Scientology is also no stranger to blackmail, harassment, bullying, stalking, whatever they consider to be an enemy or a suppressive person as they are known within the organisation. There are countless allegations of this kind of behaviour from ex-members. As we saw in this trial, their limits as to who they will harass knows no bounds. So finally, before we wrap it up, and with that in mind, let's take a look at how Masterson's friends reacted to his allegation and the rumours that Scientology may have had some influence. One of the most insane plot twists of this entire case, aside from the heinous allegations that have since been proven to be true, was the involvement of his former castmates in a post-Me Too world. And in a post-Me Too world, it seems almost unbelievable that fellow celebrities would choose anything but absolute condemnation of a friend or former castmate in the wake of sexual assault accusations. Never mind a trial and never mind defending them after they've been found guilty. But that's exactly what happened. When Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, who of course starred on that 70s show alongside Masterson, wrote some letters to the judge after Masterson was found guilty. He was found guilty in May, but not sentenced until September. And in the months between, Masterson's lawyers asked friends of his for character testimony letters that would be given to the judge, basically asking for leniency in the upcoming sentencing. This isn't an unusual tactic, but for other celebrities to co-sign their name on it is pretty wild. 
Two of those friends, as we know, were Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, who apparently wrote these letters under the presumption that they would only be seen by the judge and not by the public. Let's read the letters now. Mila Kunis's letter reads, I'm writing this character letter on behalf of my dear friend, Danny Masterson, with whom I've had the privilege of sharing a significant part of my life. My name is Mila Kunis and I'm an actress and I believe it is essential to share the remarkable influence Danny has had on my life and the lives of others. She said that Danny has proven to be an amazing friend, confidant and above all else, an outstanding older brother figure to me. His caring nature and ability to offer guidance have been instrumental in my growth personally and professionally. Then out of nowhere, she says, one of Masterson's most remarkable characteristics is his unwavering commitment to discouraging the use of drugs. She says he always guided her away from temptations of drug use, as well as doing the same for many of their friends. She gushes over him as a husband and as a father, saying he has unwavering commitment to being a loving and responsible parent. Ashton says in his letter that Danny Masterson has been nothing but a positive influence on him, that he's an extraordinarily honest and intentional human being, and that in over 25 years of friendship, he's never lied to him. Then he gives the old classic, not only is he a good friend to me, I've witnessed him be a good friend to others and the kind of brother others would be lucky to have. Ashton also goes on a spiel about drugs, saying, I attribute not falling into the typical Hollywood life of drugs directly to Danny. Anytime that we were to meet someone or interact with someone who was on drugs or did drugs, he made it clear that it wouldn't be a good person to be friends with. And for me, that was an implication that if I were to do drugs, he wouldn't want to be friends with me, which is something I would never want to risk or jeopardize. He gives two examples of what a good guy Danny is, one where they were at a pizza shop and a drunk guy was berating his girlfriend and Danny stood up for her. And secondly, that after 9-11, Danny was a huge advocate for support of the firefighters, quote, rallying his friends and co-workers to pitch in however they could. Now, Ashton, this isn't his first time at the rodeo. Back in 2011, he had an early little cancellation on his hands because he complained that one of his favourite football coaches had been fired despite it being brought to light that he knew the assistant coach had been sexually assaulting children and didn't report it. These letters, of course, went so viral and Mila and Ashton were forced to make their own little apology video where they posed in front of a kind of rundown looking wall in their mansion. But I want to listen to the video now. We can listen to it all together because to me, it is just one of the most scripted things ever, especially delivered by actors. It's just so obvious that they're acting but let's take a listen. are aware of the pain that has been caused by the character letters that we wrote on behalf of Danny Masterson. We support victims. We have done this historically through our work and will continue to do so in the future. A couple months ago, Danny's family reached out to us and they asked us to write character letters to represent the person that we knew for 25 years so that the judge could take that into full consideration relative to the sentencing. The letters were not written to question the legitimacy of the judicial system or the validity of the jury's ruling. They were intended for the judge to read um, and not to undermine the testimony of the victims or re-traumatize them in any way. We would never want to do that. We're sorry if that has taken place. Our heart goes out to every single person who's ever been a victim of sexual assault, sexual abuse, or rape. So it's known that a total of 50 people penned letters, including actress Deborah Jo Rupp and actor Kurtwood Smith, who played Kitty and Red Foreman, the parents on that 70s show, but their letters have not leaked. As far as I know, though, both of the actors are Scientologists. His siblings wrote letters for leniency too, which were made public and in them they described Danny as being the man who practically raised them when their father allegedly walked out on them. But their father since came out against this, saying that, well, he paid for expensive Scientologist private school for them. He also helped them with their careers. They're all actors. This gave interesting insight in that Masterson was raised within the Church of Scientology. 
meaning he would be not just a celebrity member, but a senior member that they would want to protect. Laura Preppen, who played Donna, my personal favourite character in that 70s show, is yet to issue a response to the conviction. She actually dated Danny Masterson's brother in real life, and after they split, she stayed close to Danny. She was also an active member of Scientology until 2016, leaving just a few months before the formal investigation. And Leah Remini condemned her for not explaining why she left or what she may have known about the allegations before the rapes became public knowledge. Topher Grace, who played Eric Foreman on The 70s Show, was long made out to be kind of a bit of a dickhead because he was never really hanging out with the crew. Everyone on the 70s show cast apparently were super, super close friends and he never hung out with them. And it was always spoken about as if he was some sort of kind of downer, you know, a bit of a loner, a bit of a loser. But now his lack of alignment with the cast is leading people online to presume he didn't co-sign the toxicity that he witnessed on set. He is yet to comment on the conviction, but his wife posted on her Instagram stories saying, To every rape victim that is re-traumatised by witnessing society debate and focus their attentions on what is going to happen the rapist, I see you. So off the back of this scandal, Ashton Kutcher has by far come off the worst. He's no stranger to controversy. He was a self-professed party boy and a womanizer in his heyday and had a pretty controversial breakup with his ex-wife Demi Moore, who accused him of cheating on her and pressuring her into threesomes. When he married his now wife Mila Kunis, who played his love interest on that 70s show, people received it well, mostly romanticizing it. But in the wake of the couple's letters of defense, people have been digging into their history. One Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis interview on the Rosie O'Donnell talk show in 2002 is making the rounds. And in this clip, Kunis says that Danny Masterson once bet Ashton Kutcher to French kiss her on set of their sitcom during a scene that required them just to kiss. Mila Kunis was 14 years old at the time, while Ashton Kutcher was 19. Let's take a listen. When she was she was 14 when we started the show, I was like 19, right? Right. And they're like, okay, you guys are going to be making out in this scene. And I'm like thinking like, wait, this is like slightly illegal, right? I was going to say, that's right? probably your first kiss ever, right? It was my first kiss. Why someone bet you made with Danny about our first kiss? No, it wasn't the first kiss. <laughs> no, it was like a ahead, second or third kiss. It was the first, it was like the first week. No, it was not the first week. Whatever, let me tell you what All happened. Right, well, no, let me no, tell no, you what happened. No, no, okay, yeah. so I've never kissed yeah. a guy. So okay. I, was, I was so, I mean, you know, Ash was attractive and yeah. I was a 14-year-old little girl and I was extremely scared for my life. Sure. And I, he, he was very nice about it. He was like, oh, don't worry. So I was like, Okay. So then Danny goes and goes, dude, I'll give you ten dollars if you French kiss her. What would you stick my stick your tongue in my mouth or some What no 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 ten dollars. You're making it sound like it was like really bad. It, okay, Dan we had a little side bet yeah, going. Yeah. Like, Which was it wasn't very as to whether or not you know, like you know, you're kissing on the show or boyfriend and girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. You would use tongue, right, Rosie? Like, I mean you would use It I depends mean, what kind of an actor you are, I guess. Absolutely, right? Yeah. yeah. So Danny bets me like 20 bucks that I wouldn't do it. And of course I'm like, yeah, sure, what's the deal? You and know? then the cops showed up and you got arrested pretty much. They but should never, have, but they didn't. He never did it. I so did it. He claimed to this day he did that. I swear, I swear. Mila, never, I so did it. He never did it. I didn't so let did him. It. I think he tried, but I, I think no, I did my mouth so yeah, come on. Yeah. You did the old teeth block? Yes. Okay. Yeah, you didn't want to do the teeth block. You were like, oh, you're like, As you can imagine, this has created quite the dialogue surrounding Ashton and Mila's relationship, with some people suggesting she's the victim of grooming, despite both parties having had serious relationships between the heyday of that 70s show and 2012 when they got together. What's less vague of an argument, though, is pointing out that this previous behaviour, alongside the letter of leniency, coupled with Ashton's work at Thorn, which is a self-described digital defenders of children, Thorn was founded by Ashton Kutcher and his ex-wife Demi Moore, and it's an international anti-human trafficking organization that works to address the sexual exploitation of children. Ashton has given passionate speeches in the past on behalf of Thorn and commented how he has been traumatized himself by some of the evidence of human trafficking and child abuse that he's seen while working there. Of course, the hypocrisy here is kind of astounding considering he felt comfortable writing on behalf of his friend who had just been convicted of two accounts of rape. 
As a result of the backlash, he's actually since stepped down from Thorne. Mila Kunis, who served as an observer on the organisation's board, is also stepping down. They released a statement saying, Victims of sexual abuse have been historically silenced and the character statement I submitted is yet another painful instance of questioning victims who are brave enough to share their experiences. After my wife and I spent several days of listening, personal reflection, learning and conversations with survivors and the employees and leadership at Thorne, I have determined the responsible thing for me to do is resign as chairman of the board effective immediately. He also said, I cannot allow my error in judgment to distract from our efforts and the children we serve. But then another layer to this onion came unraveled. By far the darkest skeleton in Ashton Kutcher's closet that has emerged is the suspicious activity around his ex-girlfriend's murder in 2001. Specifically, what Ashton did or did not do when he stumbled upon the crime scene. Ashley Ellerin was a fashion student and 22 years old when she was violently murdered in her own home. She'd been dating Ashton Kutcher at the time, who was working as an actor on that 70s show. Now, that 70s show was a pretty big show, but Ashton Kutcher on his own was not a household name yet. According to Ashton Kutcher, who would later testify at the 2019 trial of serial killer Michael Garguillo, he had dropped by Ashley's apartment to collect her and bring her to a post-Grammys party. Ashton claims he knocked on the door, but there was no answer. He knocked again, still no answer. He saw that the lights were on and he assumed that she had left for the night since he was actually late picking her up. He added that before he left, he peeked through the windows and saw what he described as a stain on the floor. He said, I saw what I thought was red wine on the carpet, but that wasn't alarming because I went to her house a few days before and there was a party going on. He said he found out the next day what happened to her and went immediately to the detectives because his fingerprints were on the door and that he was freaking out about being a suspect. Ashley had actually been lying dead on the floor that night and the stain, the wine stain that Ashton claims to have seen through the window was blood. Seeing as Ashley had been brutally stabbed 47 times in her own home, the impact of the stab wounds nearly decapitated her. Prior to her death, she had met the man who would kill her when she went to get her flat tire fixed. She had told friends she was afraid she had a stalker after her killer had started showing up at her apartment unannounced offering to fix things. Michael Garguillo, who took Ashley's life away so violently when he was just 24 years old, remained at large until August 2019 when he was convicted of murdering Ashley in 2001. He was also convicted of the murder of Maria Bruno in 2005 and the attempted murder of an attack of a woman in Santa Monica in 2008. In 2021, he was sentenced to death for murdering the two women and Ashton Kutcher testified at his murder trial. This is where things get very, very bad for Ashton and it's all surrounding his actions on that night. One of Masterson's victims who we've spoken about a good bit in this, Chrissy Bixler, probably his most outspoken victim. Upon hearing of the letters of leniency written by Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis, posted on her Instagram story saying the following, Dear Ashton, I know the secrets your role model keeps for you, ones that would end you. Did you forget I was there? You were on speakerphone that night you called Danny on February 21st, 2001. I heard everything. I heard the plan. In my opinion, you're just as sick as your mentor. Dear Mila, I pray you begin to process what you experienced as a child on that set. Your old interviews are very telling. I encourage everyone to go watch them and decide for yourself what you hear and see. Do so before they get scrubbed from the internet. I also know what happened in Toronto and after. Question, if that's what you view as a normal relationship with a quote big brother figure, then I feel very sad for you and I hope you consider getting into therapy. You almost forget that I was there the whole time those first five years of that 70s show. I remember everything. Now this has led people to speculate about Scientology's involvement with a possible cover-up of Ashton's actions that night. Did he only peek his head in the window or did Ashton get into the apartment and see much more than he claimed to? 
Did he ring Danny Masterson, his confidant and his mentor, for guidance on what to do instead of ringing the police, alerting them about the murder of his girlfriend? And did Scientology help him shape a plan and a story that would shape his later testimony? After all, Scientology allegedly have a habit of helping celebrities under their control in hiding their dirty secrets. If Chrissy Bixler's allegations are true, this could mean that Ashton Kutcher could have helped keep a murderer at large for another 20 years. And in those 20 years, he killed another woman and attempted to kill a second. I'm going to leave you with this clip from a YouTube video by a man called Aaron Levin-Smith. He's talking about Ashton's lies and this video was posted seven months ago. So before Chrissy's Instagram post, before the letters were written, pretty much before he was even found guilty, I believe. Aaron's an ex-Scientologist himself and he runs the YouTube account Growing Up Scientologist that is dedicated to exposing the organization's history of abuse, cover-ups and illegal behaviour. What really happened is Ashton Kutcher showed up to the house to pick Ashley Ellerin up for her date. He opened the door. He walked into the house. You couldn't, you cannot see, you could not see the body on the floor from the entryway to the house. He walked into the house. He looked over to the area where he saw her dead body lying on the floor. She was stabbed like 47 times, covered in blood, blood everywhere. Freaked out left the house and for about the next hour sat in his car outside the house calling various members of his team for advice on what the hell to do. And his team advised him that he didn't want, he should not call the police. He should not be the one to report this. He should not be, it should not be known that he was there. He doesn't want to be the one who discovered the body. Uh, that 70s show was only a couple years old at this point. Um, Ashton Kutcher was not a household name. Uh, they essentially said, this is all you'll be known for. People will think you did it, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, this, this will be what people think of when they think of Ashton Kutcher. You don't want that. Go to the party. Go to the party that you were picking Ashley up to take her with you to go to the party and then go home. Um, now I'm not making any representations that these are the exact words that were spoken. I'm not even naming the members of Ashton's team that he called. There's someone else that he called Danny Masterson. He called fricking Danny Masterson. That's how close these guys were. In fact, the night before Ashley was killed, Ashton and Danny and some other people from that 70s show uh, were hanging out at Ashley's house. Okay. So where am I going with this? How, how did Ashton's lies allow a murderer to kill again? The police knew who had killed Ashley Ellerin. They could not prosecute the killer because Ashton Kutcher's lies about discovering the body, saying that he didn't, you know, his lies about the whole thing created so much reasonable doubt, would have been used by the defense attorneys to create reasonable doubt to get the killer off of the murder charges that they chose not to prosecute the person that was their number one suspect for the murder. The police knew Ashton Kutcher was lying. They knew he couldn't have seen anything on the carpet from the windows outside of the house. They knew the only way Ashton Kutcher would have seen anything on the carpet was because he walked into the house. He lied about not entering the house. So there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I appreciate it was probably a tough listen, but one that I think is important. It's such a huge result for victims. And really, I just can't help but thinking like, wow, fair play to those women who actually testified. Because that is so unbelievably hard, especially women like Chrissy Bixler and the other victims who actually publicly named themselves. Because despite what a lot of people will say, 
um, they will most likely just get hate. You know, uh, they're going to have a huge amount of hate in their inbox, people accusing them of cloud chasing, all those things that come along with these um, trials. And, you know, after speaking about this case, it will be interesting to see what happens with Russell Brand and if there is criminal charges pressed against him as well. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate you leaving me a five-star review either on Apple or on Spotify. If you share the episode on social media while listening, do tag me and let me know. I love to see you listening. And sharing on social is the best way to get a podcast out there. It really is word of mouth most of the time. I'll be back with you all very, very soon. If you want weekly deep dives, you know where to go over on my Patreon. All will be linked below. Until then, I will speak to you all very soon. Goodbye. Goodbye.